Hope everyone had a, uh, a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, it's good to see uh, some familiar faces who have been not so familiar, have been out of town, and, and some of y'all are back in town from other places. So thank you for, for joining us um, after worship service. Um, let's catch up a little bit more uh, and chat, and hopefully you can get to meet some other folks here. My, <clears throat> my in-laws are in town, which is a very happy occasion. Uh, we're always excited when they come because... Um, for basic, for pretty much for Olivia and myself, they um, they take really good care of us. They pamper us. They take the kids out. They wake up early to um, to get Elijah when he wakes up and, and screams. They take him outside and uh, he, they don't bother us. He doesn't bother us. Um, they give us amazing food from even on on days when I'm I'm not eating when I'm fasting. I've got meetings. They always want to feed me. Even so, um, that's just their maternal paternal desire, and it's a great blessing to have them. But we had to wait a long time for them to come. Because they're Korean and they wanted to bring food down for us, but also the fact that they're Korean means that uh, they want to make Korean food. And part of making Korean food, there was a secret ingredient that they were waiting for from Korea that had been shipped on a boat, (laughs) this red pepper powder, red pepper flakes. And so they're supposed to come at the end of October. We're waiting and waiting and waiting. And they kept saying, well, the the boat hasn't come yet. The stuff hasn't come yet. And so we waited and waited and waited. And so finally, first week of November, they ended up coming. And there's something frustrating about waiting because what I ask all of did did the did the red pepper arrive yet? And so she would call them and say, did it arrive yet? And they say no. And, and so one of the most frustrating things in life is waiting for something that we have no control over. And the longer we have to wait, the greater the frustration can be. You ever had to wait for something before? I know we all have. Whether it's waiting for, as you're watching your favorite video on, on YouTube, and it says you can skip this ad in five seconds. You know what I'm talking about, right? That five seconds can seem like an eternity as you wait and you wait. And I'm, I'm watching and then it goes to zero seconds. It seems like there's two seconds after the zero seconds before the skip ad thing comes up. We wait a long time for things like this. Or uh, if you're playing a game, you know, you're playing a game on your on your phone or your iPad or whatever it is. They have these, uh, you could pay $3.99 or $2.99 to get the ad-free version. Or you can just get the free one and then you have to wait like five seconds for this video to play, and then you can click on the X to get out of it. But we wait and wait and wait and wait, and those things seem to take forever because we don't really like waiting for things. That's just the way we have become accustomed to living life. Sometimes the stakes are higher. We have to wait for the results of a job interview. As you're waiting, you're waiting for that call back. Or you've been put on the wait list for the university, the college that you're waiting for, the med school, whatever it is, you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And the longer we wait, the longer that season of frustration can be. Abraham in the Bible, we've been looking at him for the last couple of weeks. 25 years of his life, he waited for the fulfillment of a promise that God gave to him when he was 75. He said, "When Abraham, one day I'm going to give you a son, and through that son all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. For 25 years he waited for that fulfillment of the promise. So 10 years go by, 11 years go by, and he's like, nothing is happening. What's going on? And so he decides that he's going to sleep with his maidservant. This was his wife's idea. She said, you know what? I'm old. Nothing is happening here. I'm way past menopause, way past childbearing age. 
Why don't you take my Egyptian maidservant? She's beautiful. Take her, have a child with her. And so the promise can be fulfilled. That's what they thought. And so he has this child through her. Hagar is her name. And the child that comes out is named Ishmael. And for all these years, he's growing up. God confirms the covenant with Abraham. Says, you know what, Abraham, I know that you you, you had this little blip in the radar, but I'm still going to fulfill my promise through Sarah, explicitly through your wife. Sarah, you're going to have another child. And he has these lapses. He, he forgets. He doubts. He disbelieves all of these things. So God has another covenant with him. Right? You remember last week or two weeks ago, this covenant where they filleted the pieces. And God says, to the point of death, I will be faithful to my promise. I'll be faithful to my word even and if I'm not. And if you're not, then I'll be, my life is on the line. God has another covenant, Genesis 17, where he says, Abraham, I will be faithful. You need to do your part in being faithful, covenant of circumcision. Through 18 through 21, chapters 18 through 21, a lot of different things happen. We get to chapter 21 today, and we're going to see the not-so-dramatic fulfillment of this promise. Genesis 21. You're going to read this because we've been waiting in anticipation, and you're going to be so excited, and then you're going to be so let down because it's not really exciting. Genesis 21, we're going to go 1 to 13, but we're going to start verses 1 through 7. I'll give you the first thought, and then we'll carry on. Backdrop, they're waiting, waiting, waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. Verse 1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is God's word. The first thing, and I'll just give you this thought, and then we'll, we'll kind of flesh out a little bit. The first thought is plans that ignore God may succeed at first, but they fail in the end. Okay? Plans that ignore God succeed at first, but they will fail in the end. You remember, so at the age of 86, Abraham has this you know, crazy idea that Sarah gave him and said, hey, let's you know, here take her and, and have this, this child. And so of all the things that could have gone wrong, there's basically, I could think of a couple. One, the child could have passed away in childbirth, as happened often in those days. Um, another thing that could have gone wrong is it could have been a girl. Right? Not that girls are bad, but that wouldn't be a fulfillment of promise. So a, a boy is born. They think, well, this is great. Everything is awesome because God promised a son through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And we took matters into our own hands. We did it kind of our own way. And here comes a child and child is born. It's a boy. We're excited about it. So the, things are going okay. And as time goes on, this child grows up, becomes an adult. Abraham, like any father would for his only child, loves on him, dotes on him, waiting, waiting, waiting. God gave him this promise, but nothing is happening with that promise. And so he's got this one son that he loves so much. In verse 8, pick it up. It says, the child, this is Isaac, the child that was just born, grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Okay, what does it mean to be weaned? It means that the child is no longer simply drinking milk. He's eating other foods, okay, eating solid foods, eating 
chicken and pizza and all kinds of stuff like that. So he's eating real food now. And this is cause for great celebration. Why? Because just like in Asian culture, we celebrate 100 days because infant mortality was so high. Infant mortality was very high in those days as well. So they wanted to give mommy's milk to the baby as long as possible until it gets to the point where he's strong enough that he could eat real food. So most people say, you know, with these days weaning happens about one year old. In those days, some say that usually either about two years old or sometimes three years old is when the child was weaned. So Isaac here, we could estimate maybe he's about two years old, little baby, two years old. And Abraham is the greatest day in his life. Because the son of the promise, the child of the promise, has made it healthy out of the danger zone. And so he has this party for him. He has this feast. He's excited. They invite all these people over. So friends and family members are over at their house. Verse 9. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, this is Ishmael, was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman. And her son, for that slave woman's son, will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So, <laughs> this is odd, right? So, if, if Isaac is about two years old, then Ishmael is probably about 16 by this time. So, you got a 16-year-old. Who's a 16-year-old male in here? Okay, so you got Joshua Chang. He's picking on Elijah here. He's mocking. I don't know how he's mocking. I don't know what he's doing. You say, you can't even talk. Bye-bye. That's all you can say. Or you have such a high voice. No, no. Whatever he's doing, he's mocking. This 16-year-old is mocking this this child. This two-year-old. And so what does any protective mother do? The protective mother gets really upset. She says, get rid of that slave woman and her son. That's kind of crazy you ever been at a at a party before you're at someone's house and all of a sudden family members start fighting with each other and you're like maybe i shouldn't you know you guys should kind of settle this behind closed doors i was at a at a birthday party like this one time it wasn't a family affair but i had just finished my third year in college and one of my my good friends it was his birthday in may end of may and so we were having a birthday party and I was like, let's do it at a park. We'll play football we'll, we, at Great Falls. We'll play wiffle ball, all these fun things. And this one girl said, no, you can do it at my house. We live r- right close to Great Falls. I said, are you sure? You know, we don't want to inconvenience you. She said, no, that's fine. And so we're having this party. We're just kind of hanging out, playing games, eating and all this stuff. And then she um, gets like in this huff and a puff. And then she walks out and she starts gardening in her garden. Like, that's kind of odd. I didn't know that she was so into gardening, but she's like doing stuff. She's got her gloves on and things. And, and then we say, hey, why don't you come inside? We're going to um, have the birthday cake. And so we started singing happy birthday to you. As soon as we started, stopped, uh, finished the song, we, she, uh, Sam blew out the candles. She said, okay, everyone get out of my house. Everyone get out of my house now. Everyone leave. And uh, I was like, uh, uh, are you being for real right now? She's like, yeah, everyone just go. Just go. I don't care where you go, but just leave my house. So I said, um, you, want us to, you want us to pray for you or something? I mean, that, what's going on? She's like, just leave. I don't care. Just leave. Just leave. And so we, we left. And I said, this is a really awkward, awkward moment being at this party and, and just having her go ballistic. And found out later that it was just, I mean, she had graduated from college. She didn't have a job. She didn't have a boyfriend. And so she was kind of in a tizzy about all this stuff. And she ended up being fine. But this party here that Abraham is hosting, things don't end up fine. So her 16, her, her 16 year old half son steps and whatever it is, is mocking her little two or three year old boy. 
Some say that um, this it, it, mocking entails violence also. So I don't know if Josh Chang is like slapping Elijah around, whatever he's doing, to the point where 16 years of bitterness in Sarah's life has boiled over into this. See, Abraham thought everything is okay. For 14 years of life, we're going to be doing this all right. Everything is going all right. But he, the, the, the problem was that that plan completely ignored God from the picture. Yeah, it gets, it gets worse. Here's what, here's what happens. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. So you've got this man. He's a father of one child for 14 years. And all the games of catch he played with him, all the... Actually, he probably didn't do much because he was like 86 when he was born. But <laughs> I don't know what he did. Maybe come sit on my lap and oh, get off me. I'm, you're too heavy. <laughs> Whatever it is that they did for 14 years of life. Right? He's his dad. He's raising him. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it, is, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. So God's saying, okay, let him go, right? It's all good. Just let him go. I'll take care of him. I'm going to make him into a nation. And so later on, you'll read actually in the very next uh, section, they wander, uh, Hagar and Ishmael wander off into a desert called Beersheba. The promise of God, I will make him into a great nation also. Get this. This is huge. Make him into a great nation. And so Ishmael would have descendants. He would get married to an Egyptian. He would have children. And these children are the people we now know as the Arab people. These children would scatter, and one great descendant would rise up, a descendant of Ishmael, a man named Muhammad. He would reinterpret the teachings of Scripture to say that Ishmael is the promised child, not Isaac. He would begin a religion, and in the region of the desert of Beersheba, he would settle down in this area that we now know as Saudi Arabia, where Mecca is housed. And from him would come the Islamic peoples. From Isaac, you know. From him, Isaac, would come Jacob, Joseph, the 12 tribes of Israel, and there the Jewish people would arise in the sibling rivalry between Isaac and Ishmael that began this day to this very day, 2,000 years after, is still being played out with all of the Jewish-Arab conflict throughout the Middle East. You think Abraham envisioned that one day at the age of 86, when he decided to sleep with this Egyptian maidservant, that he would cause this rife in world history throughout all of the ages to this present day. Right? One choice, one choice. This plan that he made to ignore God, it succeeded for 14 years of life. Everything is going all right. But bam, starting in the 16th year, this conflict arose that would forever mar human history. A lot of times our plans, we make plans without God, don't we? Yeah, you know what? He's cute. I'm lonely. He asked me out. I'll say, yeah, it's a no-brainer. But a lot of times these plans that we make while ignoring God, it might be okay for a little bit, but it ends up falling apart and failing in the end. 
you know what? I got into this, this, this great school and I don't, need to, I don't need to consult God about it. I'll go to that school. And everything that we've spent our lives living for, living towards, in seeking to honor God, that one choice plan made to ignore God, we bankrupt all of that stuff. Every decision and every plan that we make needs to be surrendered and bathed and saturated in prayer. Where are you going to go to college? Where are you going to live? Who are you going to marry? Who are you going to date? Decisions about ministry, decisions about church, decisions about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, who you're going to live with. All of these things need to be clothed and bathed and saturated in prayer because plans that ignore God oftentimes, and I've seen this countless times throughout my life, countless times throughout my life where it's just a no-brainer. Of course I'm going to do this. And yet plans that I've made that I've ignored God ended up succeeding in the beginning but failing in the end countless times over and other times where it seems like a no-brainer, but hey, let's pray to God. I, it's a no-brainer to go and, and, and preach at this church or speak in this, at this conference. Pray to God, and he says, you know what, maybe it's not, it's not a good time. And so we say no, and something invariably comes up in the future where I need to be home during that time or something happens about, you know, about that conference. I plans that ignore God, this is, this is what Abraham's life teaches us. It may succeed in the beginning, but often, and, and for a long time it may, but oftentimes it ends up failing in the end. This is the first thing that we see. The second thing then, the second thing that we see as we look at this account, faith, okay, faith is trusting God, not our plan for how God should work. Faith means trusting God, God the person, God our Father, God our Savior, not our plan for how God should work. See, this is really pretty anticlimactic when you read. You've been waiting, 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 and it just says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. No kidding. You're 90 years old. You don't walk around having children. This is the grace of God, obviously. But it makes it clear in the three times, was gracious to Sarah as he had said in verse 1. At the end of verse 1, the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised and at the end of verse two at the very time god had promised him the first thing that we see just textually is that god is a god who is faithful he had said these things and so the bible is just saying yeah he said he's going to do it why would you be surprised at it that's why there's no fanfare there's no hoopla there's no rah 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 about about what's happened here it just speaks at matter of fact it's like you're talking with a friend and your friend says hey you know what sunday i'm going to be at church you're like no you won't I, i don't believe you I guess I will. And no, you won't. I promise I'll be there. You, pro- you, really, you promise? Like, yeah, I promise. And so Sunday they show up to church. You don't run up to them. Oh, my gosh, you're here at church. <laughs> you're here. No one says that. They're like, oh, you're here. You said you were going to be here. It's just very matter of fact. Now, that's, what, that's, what, that's what Moses is trying to say. God said he's going to do it. Why would you be surprised that he actually did it? You should be surprised if he didn't do it. And so what the first verses are telling us that God is faithful. The second thing that it's saying, it's making it clear that only God could have done this. Verse 2, it says, in his born a son to Abraham in his old age. Verse 3, Abraham gave the name Isaac. Um, He goes on and it's just making clear. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Verse 7, who would have said that this would have ever happened? Making clear that God like we say, God is able to do the very things that he has promised. 
See, the reason why Abraham had to go and sleep with his maidservant is because he didn't believe that God was going to do what he had promised. Listen, we, we, we do this a lot also. We have this idea in our minds of how God is supposed to work in our lives. If God really loves me, then he's going to send me to this school because this school is a place where I can grow. I need to go to this school. And we don't get into that school, and then we get upset. Say, God, this is what I was supposed to be doing. This is where I was supposed to be going, and you didn't get, get me into this place. What's wrong, God? What did I do wrong? What did you do wrong? In that moment, are we really trusting God, or are we trusting the plans that we've made for God and how our life should work out? God, this was the girl I was supposed to marry. This was the guy I was supposed to marry. But what happened? We ended up breaking up. Are you really there for me, God? God, I was supposed to be married by a certain age, and my parents are breathing down my night. They're giving me stress. Why am I not married yet? I've been praying and praying and praying, but I'm still single. What's going on here? The question is, do we really trust God? Or is our trust in the plan that we have made for how our life should work out, and we're just asking God to bless that plan? See, a lot of times we can make these two one and the same. And when God doesn't pull through according to our definition of how God ought to pull through, we get upset and we stop trusting God and we lose faith in God. See, faith is about trusting God, not in the plan that we have for God. Now, a prayer goes unanswered. Right? This, is, this is how I am sometimes. I, 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 I question God when my prayer goes unanswered because I think I know, God, this is how it's supposed to be. I know, God, this is how it's supposed to work out. This is how you're supposed to work, God. And when he doesn't pull through, when he doesn't answer the way that I want to answer, when my plan for my life or my plan for someone's life or my plan for church or my plan for whatever it is doesn't come to pass, then I begin to wonder. And in that moment, Abraham, the father of our faith, teaches us as much about faith by his successes as he does by his lapses in faith. You read through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of our faith. It makes very clear that their trust was not in some future event of how they interpreted God's hand to work, but their trust was in God and God alone. If we can, if we can understand and, and make this differentiation, it's going to open up a whole world of things for us. Faith isn't about what we think God ought to do. It's about trusting God, the person, God, the Father, God, our faithful, loving Father. Even if things don't go the way that we want them to, he's still worthy of our trust because he is the one in whom we've put our faith. He's the one in whom we've put our trust, not our plans, not our desires, not our wishes, not our dreams, not our goals. And it's him. And he's going to lead us and he's going to guide us. You think when, when Daniel in the Bible prayed, God, would you give me faith? That he interpreted, that he expected the answer to his prayer for faith was going to be he's going to be stuck in a den of hungry lions. If his faith was in his plan for how God was to work, then he wouldn't have remained faithful in the midst of a lion's den. But his trust and his faith was in God, in God alone. When Mary sang her song, the Magnificat, Virgin Mary, and she said, God, whatever it is, I am your servant. 
She was saying, my trust is not in my circumstances. I'm a virgin and I'm pregnant. I'm going to be slandered and smeared by all the people in the, in the village. Her trust was in God and God alone. Not in her circumstances, not in her plan for a wonderful life with this wonderful man, righteous man at that. When we pray for the things in our lives. I know a lot of us pray for patience. Say, God, would you grant me patience? It doesn't often occur to us that the way that God is going to cultivate patience in us is not by instantly waking us up one morning and we're all of a sudden able to endure the barking dogs at three in the morning and the roosters that are crowing at four in the morning and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, the beautiful sound to me. That's not how patience is going to be formed in us. How is patience going to be formed? It's by God putting us in situations where we need to become patient putting annoying people into our lives, putting us in situations where we've got to wait. We've got a one o'clock appointment at Golden Corral, if you need an appointment, wherever you need an appointment, and some this massive party of church-going people cuts in line, and, and you don't get in until 3 o'clock, and you're like, oh, I'm so angry. God, I'm so impatient. Why didn't you answer my prayer for patience? Thanks, son, daughter, in that moment, this is where patience is being formed in the school of affliction. I'm not going to just zap you. It'd be too easy. You don't develop character. You don't develop that way. Our prayers for joy. It's not going to be all of a sudden, bam, something happens. Our lives, circumstances are changed so that we're all of a sudden joyful. Or all of a sudden someone drops this new Lamborghini into a garage and all payments are done and uh, maintenance free and all that stuff. And oh, it's joyful, beautiful. No. Puts us into situations where we have to fight for a joy that is uncircumstantial in our lives. This is how God's going to work in us. Do we trust God or do we trust the plan that we have for how God ought to work in our lives? It's a major difference. And once we get it, right, once we get it, it will open up a whole new world of opportunity and trust in our hearts for God. Last thing that we see. The last thing that we see, God is not in a hurry Yet he's never late. God is not in a hurry. Yet he's never late. I, <laughs> on Thanksgiving, we're playing this game. Um, a few of us were together. We're playing this game called Who Knew, where everyone gets cards and they've got different uh, things, nouns on them. And for each person who's playing the game, you have to think of which card best describes what this person would like. And so one of the things was being on time. And someone put that in my pile as something that I like. I like being on time. I like being on time. I value being on time. Sometimes I'm not on time. And that makes me angry, makes me upset, makes me fidgety. But I like being on time. And I like when people are on time also. I get upset sometimes when people are not on time. Why? Because when people are late, <laughs> when people are late, others have to wait. That is just a simple concept. And a lot of times we think, well, God is late. So we need to hurry. God needs to hurry up. You know, we, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, we as a culture don't like to wait very long because uh, we as American people really love being productive. And so we val one of the highest values somehow in our day is being busy. 
How you doing? I'm busy. Oh, that's great. It's good to be busy. How you doing? I'm so tired. Why are you so tired? Oh, I got so much to do. Oh, that's great. You're beautiful. Because we value being productive, we value being doing stuff and having stuff to do because we don't want to... We don't want to sit around. And because we value always being on the go, we don't like waiting, right? Waiting just seems like it's so unproductive. It's a waste of time. Therefore, we create things in our lives. That's why somebody inadvertently made the microwave oven when he had a chocolate bar in his pocket and got too close to microwave oven to, to microwaves and said, oh, let's make this oven and everyone's life will be made so much better. Instant popcorn and instant messaging and instant gram and all these other instant things that we have. Why? So that we could have instant gratification. Did you know, some of, some of y'all maybe in sixth grade don't know, but back in the day when you wanted to take a picture, if you wanted to see what that picture looked like, you would have to wait a long time. Here's what you had to wait for. You, you, there's this thing called film that goes in a camera. This film came with either 12, 24, or 36 pictures, exposures. I know because we used to sell these at a store that I used to work at when my mom had a store. After you took the 12 pictures, you would wind it up and you'd pull it out and then you'd have to take it to a store. And this store would do something called develop the film and you'd have to wait till the next day or the next next day. If you paid extra, you could actually get it in an hour. <laughs> like an hour, who waits an hour? But you have to wait an hour and then when you get it, you're in such, you get so excited when they've got your big packet of pictures that you rip it open, you look at it because it's the first time you're ever seeing it, it's on print. Right? Who'd have thought that you'd have to wait sometimes three months to look at what your selfie looks like? Like, oh my gosh, that's like so three months ago. I don't even look like that anymore. Emo is out now. I don't, I don't do pictures like that. So we do everything is so instant now because we don't like waiting for things. But the message of Abraham is that God's not in a hurry. Even 25 years is right on time for God. Because God's timetable is so much different than ours. We live here in America. He doesn't, he doesn't go by cultural standards. In America, we say, yeah, the, the difference between a Korean conference and an American conference, American conference starts pretty much maybe one minute after. It's supposed to start at 7, starts at 7.01, just right on the dot. Korean conferences is like, oh, Oh, it's okay. Korean time, you know, 7.30, the band will start playing. 7.45, it's all good in the hood. Then you go to Ecuador. Like, hermano, what time does service start? 7 o'clock. What time, what time do you have? 8 o'clock. <laughs> 7 o'clock Ecuadorian time. That's what he meant to say. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Then you go to the Dominican Republic and it's completely different. What time does it start? 7 o'clock. What time is it now? 9.30. What? A las 7 in Dominican time. Like, ah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So what culture does God belong to? <laughs> he belongs to his own. And he's like, I do things on my own timetable. I'm not going to be rushed, but you know what? God is never late. He is always on time. It's a crazy thing about God. And again, the question is, do we trust God's timing? Do we trust God? Are we able to trust him? So 25 years later, 25 years later, God brings this child and they say he will bring laughter. He will bring joy. Whereas the other son brought strife and fighting 
he will bring joy. For Abraham and Sarah in those days, the only thing that they thought could bring them joy was to have a child. And so they first tried it through Ishmael. And then they next, trusting in the promise of God that need to continue to be confirmed and affirmed within him, they gave birth to Isaac. A long time after the promise was given. And yet Galatians tells us that there's two ways, right? Two ways to find blessing, two ways to find laughter. Right? The first way is through the way of Ishmael, right? symbolized through Ishmael, that we do it our way. And we do it our way. We ignore God. We do things on our timetable. We do things the way that we want to do it. We end up sleeping with our maidservant, whatever it is that we want to do. Apart from God, this is how we do it. Right? You need to work at it. You need to create your own blessing. You need to go to your own Mecca. You need to do these things. You need to follow this, uh, these five pillars. You need to do all of these things and make your own destiny for yourself. The other way, right, which is symbolized through Isaac, is the way of the promise. Right? Two sons of Abraham, two religions, two different ways to go. In Matthew chapter 1, when it talks about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it says, here's the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because 25 years may seem like a long time, but the other promise, you remember, the other promise that God gave to Abraham is that you will have a great nation, you will have a great land. 400 years later, they would enter into the promised land. And yet God is not late, right? because while he was waiting for the sin of the Amorites to reach its full measure so that judgment would come on them 400 years later, and they would have to wait 2,000 years for the true Isaac to be born. Just like Isaac, Jesus too was born in a miraculous way. One of a 90-year-old post-menopausal barren woman, the other a young virgin teen conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Isaac sought to live the best that he could, but it was Jesus who would bring ultimately be the child of joy that would bring laughter and blessing to the whole world. And yet the world would have to wait 2,000 years for the fulfillment of that promise. Today, I know all of us are looking for blessing. All of us are looking for joy. All of us are looking for laughter in the midst of a world that's difficult to live in. How are we seeking that? How are we seeking the blessing of God, joy in our lives? If we're doing it on our own, doing it apart from God, ignoring God, making our plans, this is how my life is going to be great. It's going to be successful for a while. But just like C.S. Lewis said, a little, a little bit of sin is like a little bit of pregnancy. After a while, everyone begins to see the results. <laughs> That's the way it is when we do things on our own. But the way of God is trust in my promise. Trust in me. Right? Trust in what I have for you. Trust in my timing. And joy and life will come as you put your ultimate hope for satisfaction, for joy, for blessing in Christ alone. Let's pray. Have we been waiting for a long time for God to move in our lives? Are we in a season of waiting right now? Do you know that God has a purpose 
for the pauses in our lives. That God is developing something in you. It took 25 years for God to develop faith in Abraham. God is working in your life. He's working in my life. Through the seeming delays, he's still at work in us. Let's pray to the Lord God. And maybe we've taken matters into our own hands to try and create our own plans and then ask God to rubber stamp, bless them. Maybe God is telling us here, hey, it's not too late to make a U-turn. It's not too late to come back to me and to put your hope in me. Let's take a moment right now to pray to the Lord and ask that we'd have faith to see him, that we would trust him, that we would believe in him, that we'd wait on him for his good, perfect timing in our life. Let's pray together for a couple moments and we'll continue in our service. some of us have been pretty successful doing things the way that we've been doing it. But in the midst of it, seeing our relationship with God begin to crumble. It's become a habit for us to not be plugged into community. It's become a habit for us to not go to church. It's become a habit for us not to pray and consult God. Let's make a choice now. We're here for a reason. God wanted to speak into our hearts. So let's make a decision now and say, God, I, I want to walk with you. I don't know how I'll be doing two months later, three months later, but for now, I, I want to walk with you. I want to make a commitment to come back to you. You have been faithful. You always will. I want to be faithful to you. Maybe we're living a kind of life that just felt convicted in the past, God saying, hey, let's let go of these things. Let's let go of these things. Maybe you've begun to see cracks in the foundation of that kind of a lifestyle. And God's calling out to you, but say, eventually, God, I'll come back. Eventually, I'll come back. But you're afraid, you're scared, and rightly so. I mean, it's a big decision. But God's going to be faithful. Maybe he's asking you to let go of certain dreams, certain desires in order that we could live a life of true laughter, not worldly laughter that will fade, but of deep Christ-centered, deep-founded joy that doesn't go away when we wake up in the morning, doesn't go away when we put our heads down at night. Jesus saying, I can give that to you. I want to give that to you. Let's just continue to pray for a moment. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, let's confess any sin before the Lord and let's turn away from these things as we receive the forgiveness that Christ has to offer to us through the cross. Let's confess and let's receive from him the hope and the joy, the forgiveness that he extends to us. Let's pray for a couple more moments and And I'll pray for us as we enter into communion.
Father in heaven, as you were faithful with Abraham, so too will you be to the sons and daughters of Abraham, to those who by faith confess you before the world, who by faith confess you before the circumstances of our lives, who by faith confess you to be our one and only Savior and Master of our lives. Thank you so much that you will remain true to never leave us nor forsake us, to never fail the promise that you've made. Thank you that grace avails to each of us now, for each of us is in need of your mercy. Each of us has fallen, each of us has failed in many, many ways. But we thank you that grace is not for those who have not failed, but it's for those who have messed up and recognize. This is the place for those who understand our utter need for a blood-bought salvation only through the blood of Christ. Help us now to experience you through this table of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.